It's time for another KPI Cafe, a place where conversations happen that aspire to elevate automotive retail. As always, I'm your host, Dane Seville, co-founder of and brand manager for Renew Marketing, a full-service digital marketing agency that allows me the opportunity to do this and connect with so many of the amazing folks in this industry. Uh, I want to make an announcement here, too. Uh, on Reunion Marketing's website, we have a uh, used car marketing ebook available. It's free, right? It's no charge. Uh, head on over to the website, www.reunionmarketing.com, and you can get your, well, I guess you can't really get your hands on it because it's, it's a digital copy, but you can lay your eyes on a great uh, a strategy and tactics, a great uh, guide for you. So go on and uh, do that. And as always, we're gonna, well, as, as always nowadays, right? Uh, we're gonna pivot here and we're gonna talk about what's going on in auto. And today we have uh, Hannah Lifson of Friendemic. So let's jump right in and find out what's going on in auto. Once again, we have one of my favorite folks Hannah Lifson, of, uh, Marketing Director of Friendemic. Hannah, welcome back to the segment of What's Going On in Auto. How are you doing? Hey, Dane. So far, so good. How about yourself? I can't complain. Well, uh, thanks. Like I said before we started recording, thanks for always being so flexible and helpful in times of desperate need that I have uh, and uh, came through for me once again. So let's go ahead. Let's dive right into it. Hannah, what's going on in auto? Sounds good. So, Dane, something I've been thinking about, probably just like the rest of the world, is, you know, how can we connect with consumers through a screen, whether that's through your computer or whether that's through your, your phone, your cell phone? A lot of us were forced into this over the pandemic, but as we're resuming sort of our normal, potentially you could say foot traffic of a, of a pre-pandemic world, it's, I don't think there's going to be a lack of demand for that type of relationship anytime soon. Um, more specifically, I was just reading a study put out by Cisco, and they predicted that by the end of 2022, 82% of all internet traffic will actually be from video. Now, that does include streaming, um, so that'll be a big portion of it. But when we think about video and how we should or could integrate that into the dealership, maybe you were forced into it um, over the pandemic, but it's really a great time to sort of hone in and streamline potentially your processes and how you're utilizing a tool that there is a demand for. And it's not only a want, but I think it's a need of the part of the modern buying shopping journey. Um, you know, when you think about a car, it's the second biggest purchase after a home. And if we even just take a look at real estate, they're already doing virtual tours, 360 views of rooms. You can FaceTime with a real estate agent to meet someone. So I think we can take a, a bit of a page out of that playbook into automotive with a couple of simple ways. One being, you know, a video is like a digital handshake now. It's great for introductions. Um, as soon as you get that internet lead, go ahead and follow up with a personalized message just via video or even just on your computer. Um, you know, hopefully it's a way for you to connect with them one-on-one -on -one. and maybe not if, but when they become your customer and they come into the store, they're already going to have a point of contact. It's kind of like walking into a party, but already knowing that you'll at least have one friend there makes the process a lot less intimidating. Um, the second one is, of, of course, as important as it is for the front of the house, think about the back of the house. 
why are you not, you know, showing updates as to where the service is and, and how long something may be taking? We all know that parts are, you know, in flux, coming and going, we could be behind. Just be more transparent. And video is a really quick, easy way to do that. And then, of course, um, in your BDC department, regardless of if you're actually on the showroom floor or in a service bay, why don't you have the BDC department also following up with leads with one-to-one -one FaceTime or as we all know, the finance process is pretty tricky to get through. Why don't you have your finance, you know, your BDC department walk through those finances with a screen share? It doesn't just have to be camera face to face, but why don't you walk through any of the bits and pieces of a BDP page or an MSRP page with the frequently asked questions via video? And then finally, we know that, you know, on your BDP page, stock images are a great placeholder. But take something that could be 1D, turn it into 3D. If you're getting leads, if you're getting inquiries about a specific car, don't not follow up with a video. Um, you know, it definitely can set expectations, particularly on the use side of things. As soon as they show up to a lot, it's a really bad time to find out that there's scratches or maybe, you know, there's a bumper detail. Go ahead. This is another great way to be transparent. Do a quick walk around video, point things out so that as soon as the customer gets there to pick up their, their new vehicle or their used vehicle, they know exactly what they're gonna be getting. They know the features, they know what the interior looks like, the exterior, and there's no surprises that could ever complicate the, the you know, final signing. Wonderful, absolutely. In addition to the Cisco study course, if you saw the Google Marketing Live event just a few months ago, they talked video, 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 video. So front of the house, back of the house, variable lots, big stops, outside of the car, inside of the car, you got it all. So folks, you heard it here, folks, on, on what's going on in auto. Uh, Hannah, thanks again, as always. Well, I, uh, I always like talking to Hannah. She always has... Uh, insights every time she's been on the what's going on in auto there's always some article or some something she's read that has inspired her uh it's always great um today it's just me um i know last week we advertised albert thompson but uh he actually made a move so uh we were unable to really connect uh trying to reschedule that now but you know in thinking about what who to have on and what to do uh i've actually been seeing a lot of content lately on believing in yourself and taking risks and making changes and being happy happiness that's the most important kpi in your life it pertains to both your personal and professional life right that's that's more important than anything because when you're happy, you feel healthy. When you're happy, you make good choices for yourself. And, you know, the reason why I didn't ask anyone on is because the idea of, of being happy in making changes, in taking risks, it resonates a lot with me personally. And I'll talk a little bit about that, but let's talk about, let's talk about risk, right? Let's talk about taking risks, right? What is a risk? Well, risk is exposing someone or something valued to danger, harm, or loss. But you don't want to just wantonly take risks, right? You want those risks to be measured. You know, measured, carefully considered, deliberate and restrained. Take, so we want to take measured risks for ourselves, right? For our companies, for ourselves, for our lives, for our families. Right? To me, measured risk 
is when you carefully consider exposing your professional personal life to potential loss, but also potential gain. Think about the measured risks you've taken in life. How about dating, right? What is more of a measured risk than sharing yourself with someone else? Job change, entrepreneurships, you know, starting up a company, entering a contest, right? Even when you're a kid, you enter different. I remember being in fifth grade, entering a writing contest, sporting competitions, new technologies, new investments, right? Measured risk. It's anywhere where there is some sort of change, some sort of uncomfortability. Our union, one of our one of our core values is un. Uh, comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, measured risk is the only real agent of change. But let's talk about that too, because there's also an inherent trust. Trust in the person you're dating. Trust in your partner, in your colleagues, in your professional partnerships. Trust in a vision. (laughs) Or really... You know, risk can, outside of that, can even just be the thrill of change and risk itself, but there's still a trust in yourself. Maybe it's trying something new. Maybe it's something different, right? We want to look at things with a different lens. And there are some very big risks that have paid off for a lot of companies who saw opportunity or trusted in a vision or a person. Right, Apple comes to mind, of course, with Steve Jobs. You know, in 2001, PlayStation was the dominant console. Still, Microsoft took the risk and created the Xbox, which has since evolved into a major player for OTT and video streaming. In 1980, four people saw an opportunity for an organic grocery store with natural products. Whole Foods. How about in advertising? What about in 2014, Charmin started using literal potty humor, and it has paid off in their market share and revenue pretty substantially. Google and YouTube were big risks, but it came from a trust in vision and opportunity. FedEx managed to stay afloat from its founder making a literal gamble in Las Vegas. Those are big ideas. Let, let's so let's let's just revisit the simplicity of happiness and trust. We all become unhappy when trust is broken. Trust that your partner wouldn't hurt you. Trust that your company would would reward you for your contributions and value. Trust that your professional partners work their hardest to help you achieve your goals. Trust in your boss that he or she will equip you with what you need to succeed. And when that trust is broken, you also then have this desire, even need even, for change. Risk is an important part of life. Risk is the catalyst of innovation. But again, like I said, risk and trust go hand in hand, right? It's it's a very close symbiotic relationship. So maybe I should say risk and trust are the are, are the are the catalyst of innovation. Right? We don't improve ourselves 
our strategies, our thinking, our companies, unless we take some sort of risk that engenders that change. When I got it, so I said at the at, at the very beginning that this was personal for me. It resonated with me, which is why I didn't ask anyone else to join because uh, I wanted to talk to you about it because it, it really means a lot to me. And you know, I, I'm going to talk about myself a little, and it's not it's not like uh, an ego stroke, and I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I want I, hopefully you'll feel a little inspired. Uh, you know, I had worked for the Department of Defense. Uh, as a communications specialist, and uh, it was uh, sequestration happened, and I was literally just like walking the building, spraying for bugs and and stocking soda machines. So it it was really for a I should say a defense contractor, uh, and so when sequestration happened, there really wasn't like new investment, new money coming in. Uh, we just had like the current contracts we had, um, so I resigned. My mother lost her mind. She told me I was crazy to leave because I was making decent money for doing basically nothing. But I, I have to feel like I'm bringing something of value. I have to feel like I'm, I'm contributing in some way. So I was actually uh, jobless for about six months. I was shocked by it. I mean, I applied to McDonald's. I applied to... to work in hotels. I mean, everything you could think of every job opening after like a month of not finding something, every job opening, I apply, I applied to be a waiter. I applied to be a, a bus boy, a dishwasher. There's to me, there's no such thing as, as work that isn't worthy. We all contribute to society, no matter what our role is. And I've always tried to maintain that perspective. Um, so, you know, then I, I happened, I literally had the car packed. I was going to move home and my phone rang and it was, uh, reunion CEO, Dave Sponicky at the time he was the marketing director of a 33 store automotive group in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, uh, he, and this guy, Thomas hired me. I took a risk. I never worked in automotive. I'd not really worked in marketing. I always had the desire to always, I always wanted to be a madman, right? I always wanted to work on Madison Avenue. I didn't take the risk when I was younger to get there. Uh, so, you know, I, when you're younger, it's it's hard to have that perspective. Uh, you know, I don't know. For me, when I was younger, I, I'm I'm more daring now that I'm older than when I was younger. Most people, it's the it's the opposite. Normal younger people take the risks, but I didn't. Um, anyway, this is not a therapeutic session. Uh, so, you know, I took the risk to uh, join that team. Loved it. Fell in love with automotive retail, the people, uh, got to go in the dealership a lot of the time, got to meet GMs and, and, and I mean, everyone, dealer principals. I just took a sip of coffee. It's been a long day. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, uh, they didn't, the, the, the group didn't want to, uh, we were contractors, myself and the other writers. And so I left, we, we, they wouldn't bring us on full time for, uh, health benefits and stuff. So I went to uh, another, I went to an agency. I worked outside of automotive. But the next big risk came when about two years after that, I mean, I had worked my way up. I was uh, making, again, good money. And uh, it was a safe position. The company was growing exponen ex exponentially. Um, 
there was a clear path for me uh, in terms of professional growth. And I was walking to Chick-fil-A one day and Dave, uh, the marketing director at the time, now CEO of Reunion, called me and said, you know, hey, in your and this is a true story, in your resignation letter, you wrote that if I ever started my own thing, you would join. And uh, he said, put in a new resignation letter. So I did. I went back to that agency that uh, after lunch and I wrote up my resignation letter. And about four weeks later, because I like to give good notice, uh, four weeks later, uh, we started Reunion. Now, Dave and Chad Graves, another co-founder, had already been had already left that uh, marketing department. They were already, you know, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Like, uh, you know, tires to the road and, and you know, and, and walking in dealerships and and selling uh, services, SEO. And when I came on board, then the company moved into my living room. There was, uh, you know, the three of us. And and then uh, Andrew Coach, another co-founder. So there's four of us really. The four of us really worked from my house for a few months, um, and it was great. I, I, the the idea of entrepreneurship always appealed to me, and it was really rewarding those early years. It was so much fun, uh, and so scary, because starting your own business. And we started this without any. There were no bank loans. There were no, you know, angel investors or anything like that. It was just a couple of guys with a lot of grit who wanted to make something happen. And it was, it was so exciting. So we had reunion and I took another risk with reunion. And that was uh, when we started, I was the director of content, but you know, I'd always, I'd always had a natural inclination towards presentation towards, I guess, showmanship, you'd say, which is why I was in pro wrestling. Uh, and so we wanted to f go into a growth phase, right? We, we had Chad, who was our sales guy, but we wanted to really increase our brand awareness and, 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 and footprint, uh, in automotive retail. And so I, I proud of myself that I created the templates and put together a team that was amazing and created processes. I had brought uh, a sauna to reunion from that other agency because I loved using Asana. And I was able to leave that team to themselves. And it was wonderful. And so I took over the role of brand manager. And I remember uh, probably the second time, the first time I ever spoke, good friend Brent Weiss was there at the event. And I had asked him, I saw him present and I thought he was great. And I asked him to watch and, and give any, any insights. And he did. And I was so grateful for uh, the advice he'd given me. The second time I ever spoke, I believe it was the second, uh, Sean Welsh, another wonderful guy, good friend. Uh, we were sitting at, at a bar restaurant after the event. It was the Innovative Dealer Summit in Denver. And I felt so proud because he looked at Dave and Chad and said, this is your guy. This is who you want out there uh, showing off who you are. And uh, that was really great. And since then, I mean, all the people that I have met, uh, I mean, my even through the K KPI was another risk, right? When I took over brand manager as brand manager, you know, doing this was a risk. And it has it has rewarded me beyond all comprehension because, you know, I've made friends off of this program and we've actually generated business from it as well, which is an, an unintended result uh of course makes me happy uh because it sounds like people get value out of this um 
And I hope you're getting value today. I hope you're feeling inspired. And, um, you know, I mean, God, Lori Foster, Lori Halter, uh, Matt Wilson, Shane Stender, Evelyn uh, Searle, and, and, and Justin, and uh, my goodness, did I say Lori Foster already? Uh, there are a lot of Lori's, it seems. Uh, you know, Carrie Wise, uh, Joe St. John, Greg Gifford, Sean Rains. I mean, this industry is filled with amazing people. Steve Ressler. And if I'm naming someone you've never heard of, look them up on LinkedIn and, and give them a follow. Connect with them. They're they're awesome. Fernando Geddes of, of Step One. Oh, my. Uh, Jeff Elhart. Uh, I mean, so, so, so many people. Matt Sneed, April Simmons. I, I, I can't name you all because you're all so wonderful. Um, these are people I, I call friends. And, and I'll tell you, what, without taking the risk to start reunion, without taking the risk to be the brand manager, without taking the risk to, to have a podcast and put myself out there like I am right this very instant, I wouldn't have the experiences or met the people and, and, and put together the friendships and network that I have. I, I can't imagine, you know, anything bad happening with Reunion, right? It's it's a great company with best in practice uh, uh, strategies and tactics. But, you know, I, I feel like if something catastrophic happened and Reunion uh, ended, I feel like I have such a safety net of people around me. And that, again, another risk is putting yourself out there to forge friendships, it's because of that network and those friendships, I feel secure. I took the risk to meet these people, to put myself out there, to make the connection, and it pays off dividends that you don't even realize it, it does. Again, measured risk is the only real agent of change. And that's the final statement I'll leave you with on this topic. Measured risk is the only real agent of change. And measured risk is when you carefully consider to expose yourself to potential loss, but also to potential gain. Exposure to people, to places, to ideas, to strategies, to companies. So I hope you, in the near future, take a risk on yourself. Because there's nothing more important than you being happy and satisfied and healthy. And that risk can be the one thing that changes your life. So, if it doesn't happen, you use it as a learning opportunity, right? A measured risk can lead to an opportunity to learn if it doesn't go the way you thought it would. And believe me, there can be measured risks. It doesn't have to be huge, right? Right, Reunion took the measured risk of, of testing out other verticals. So there are there, there risks. I, I also want to impress that they don't have to all they don't have to always be the big things, but measured risks, even uh, you know, just to create change and you know, you know engender change in, in maybe your culture in your company or a strategy or tactic. Now I'm just starting to meander a little bit because I'm kind of getting off uh the thoughts I had put together, but the more I think about, I mean, it's just, there's just so much value in those risks that, like I just said, even if it doesn't work the way you think it will, it's still a lesson learned. 
right? Risk to try a new ad copy, risk to try a new creative. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but then you know what? Then if it doesn't, you'll learn. And you have that to take on to the next adventure, the next strategy, the next campaign. Anyway, I said I was going to leave you with that line, and that was going to be the last thing I said, and then I went off on a tangent. Uh, everyone, I, I really appreciate uh, you listening in. Uh, I appreciate your uh, participation in this KPI Cafe. Even if we've never talked, you're here with me. And I really, genuinely, truly appreciate that. So again, uh, measured risk is the only real agent of change. So uh, take a small risk. Subscribe to the KPI Cafe on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, please also follow uh, Reunion's YouTube page as we're going to have different content uh, coming out. And I also put up little snippets of interviews and things like that. Um, so there'll be more and more value coming from that. So uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, if you uh, are still with me, stay tuned because we're going to talk about what's happening on next week's KPI Cafe. So now next week, we will have Albert Thompson. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm pretty sure we have uh, next week locked in for the interview. And then, of course, uh, you know, we'll put together, we'll edit the episode, put it all together for you. And uh, I hope you'll tune in. So everyone, have a great rest of your week. I hope you are doing well and, uh, and staying healthy out there. So everyone, I'll catch you on the next KPI Cafe.